Hey everyone, we are back with another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. And in this episode, we're tackling a listener-submitted question about scent control. And as the title indicates, Mark Drury is back with us today to really dive deep into this topic. And we cover a fascinating array of different scent and wind-related topics in this one. So without beating around the bush anymore, I'm just going to kick it right over to our early recording with myself, Matt, and Mark Drury. All right, welcome back to the 100% wild podcast i'm mark kenyon with wired to hunt and with me again today is matt jury and mark jury how are you guys good hello hello good we uh we talked recently about some different off-season projects and off-season work and stuff like that but we've got a listener submitted question today that's all about an in-season topic that i think all three of us think about a lot um so i was thinking because i want to make sure we hit on this one good and in detail that we just hop right into that question, Matt. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Hi, this is Nick from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I just had a question about how the professionals go about their scent regimen. So I'm talking about everything from how they're washing their clothes to what they're doing with their breath um, to different sprays being used to what they do from their ride to and from their hunting location where do they store their gear, uh, just pretty much anything that has to do with scent control, I'm interested, and I'm sure a lot of other people are too. So I'm just going to sit back and listen, and thanks for taking my question. All right, so scent control, right? This is something I know we all think about a lot, we all talk about a lot, but it's it's worth diving into, I think, again in detail. So let's start with you, Mark. Can you give us the full rundown of what your scent control regimen looks like? Well, I think first and foremost, it starts with being disciplined on where you hunt on what winds, right? You know, you can't overlook the fact, you can't overstate the fact that you're not going to beat their nose, period, end of story. It starts with a good win, all right? So what you're really trying to do is minimize the effect of deer that do get downwind of you, even though you've got a good stand and a good position. So to that end, I want to try and fool as many as I can. So even though more often than not, I've got a great wind to go hunt on any given wind direction or speed or time of year, I still want to make sure, because you're going to get deer downwind. If yeah. you're into deer, you're going to have deer get downwind. So to me, it starts with, number one, your body. I take sick control showers twice a day, usually during the season, and I'm scrubbing as, as much as I could possibly scrub. Number two, it then goes into your clothes, and I'm big into ozone. Um, I use the scent crusher line where I take everything every single day and I crush everything that's going into the stand with me from my pack to my bow. I've got a closet for my bow. Uh, Every single thing that's going to the stand with me, my rattling antlers, anything that you contact that can have scent, I try to crush it with that ozone, that bacteria eating ozone, and I don't want any scent from that standpoint. In the field, I'm also going to have an ozone generator so that I'm trying to grab my scent that's still emitting off and carrying it to the ground. In addition to that, I wash my clothes like a madman at least once a week. I don't do it as often now as I did now that they're scent crusher because I think it for the most part takes care of it. But still, when they get soiled, I'm going to wash them and I'm going to use a non-scented detergent like so many of the good ones are out there on the market. And to that point, in my washing machine, I never allow any scented detergents in that washing machine the entire year. Wow. I mean, I, we're set free year round. Yeah. And 
you can ask Taylor, this fall, I went to the washing machine and I opened it up to put a load in and I, I almost I almost blew a cork. <laughs> she had done her girly stuff. Yeah. All right. And I went and found her and I was like, did you? And she was like, no, Brad. And no, I was like, no, you're lying. <laughs> no, because I could smell it. So then I did multiple loads just to get that smell yeah. out of there of towels and stuff just yeah. to, to get it out. So I'm a fanatic about all smells. And but when it comes down to it, I don't know that they react necessarily to that type of smell as much as they react to your human odor. Like your scent your on scent. you. Yeah. So that's the stuff I'm trying to minimize is everything that I am, which is, is, is smell. And you're only going to be as good as the day if you do the regiment and you're disciplined <clears throat> about how you store your clothes and scent crushing it and all that stuff. When that pressure is low, I have noticed no matter what I do, I still get caught uh, but it's not nearly as aggressive a reaction as it is when I don't do those things. In other words, if you're sloppy, they're going to blow and go crazy. Wig out. Wig out. High pressure days, those are the easy days. Yeah. Man. You do all the stuff I'm talking about, and 99% of the yeah. deer that get downwind, they, you might see a, a visual detection, but they're not going to react. Yeah. High pressure days are the bomb. So, Low pressure days are the ones you really have to be careful. I, I know probably the majority of the guys listening on the podcast already understand this, but explain that a little bit, the high pressure versus low pressure, what pressure is actually doing with your scent. Right. right okay. So pressure is relative to the season. High pressure in the early part of the season might be anything above 30. The latter part of the season, high pressure is more about 30.2 and above. Low pressure to me is anything that's below 30 in the early part of the season. Uh, 29.7, 29.8, the barometric pressure is just crushing everything and holding it down to the earth. Whereas those beautiful <clears throat> bluebird days where there's high pressure, everything's rising because yeah. you've got the right thermals taking everything up. You yeah. know, and the air feels, it also correlates to humidity too. So um, if on the really low humidity days, they don't smell you nearly as good as they do on high humidity thick days. Day. The thick day, high humidity, man, they're going to nail you. Talk to a dog guy and talk about how effective their dogs are on wet, low pressure, uh, high humidity days versus high pressure and, you know, uh, low humidity days. Big difference in how effective that dog is. The same thing's happening with a deer. It's just better scenting, uh, scenting uh, conditions for the dog on low pressure wet days because the, the scent is moist. It's right there. It's everywhere. They can smell it. And high pressure days, it's just tougher for them to pick up. So on that same topic, you you guys talk about about it a lot. Um, uh, in the evenings, if it's low pressure, you're sitting low. Uh, terrain wise, you tend to sit low on and in, in the morning times, high pressure mornings, you're sitting high on a ridge or whatever, where literally the the, the your pressure, your sense being lifted up with the pressure, it's almost impossible to get winded, so to speak. Right? It's very, difficult to, get, it's very yeah. difficult to get winded. Yeah. Uh, but on those high pressure days, you can get by with even low, low, low stands because yeah. everything's going up and they just, they just don't smell you on high pressure days yeah. like they do. If you take all these precautions, man, you add ozone, you, you crush it, add a generator infield and get pressure above 30. And I mean, they have a very tough time smelling you. They, they still detect it, but they don't react to the detection. So I, you know, back in the day, we, we got our feet wet and in the sink control realm, probably early 2000s, right? I mean, you, you always kind of practiced it, so to speak, but I think that's when it really hit the industry by storm. And as your philosophy changed a little bit through the years, like 
we were fanatical in certain ways, you know, through that period in the, in the early 2000s. But I feel like, you know, even the things that we talk about as it pertains to scent, scent control has almost changed. It has changed because like with everything, there's evolution. Um, back then we were in the carbon suits, which we had very good luck with. Yeah. And we were spraying down heavily. And now I think you don't have to go through the care with the carbon suit. You can just simply throw it into an ozone machine and crush the living tar out of the bacteria that's yeah. on that clothing. Like I've never had luck like I have the last three years with the combination of scent crusher and infield ozone generation and all of the advanced titanium based sprays and soaps and keeping myself clean. You add it all up and they didn't do the deer any favors. I can promise you yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, Back to in the field, you, you talked about the pressure, high pressure versus low pressure days. Uh, you briefly mentioned thermals. Could you just elaborate for those that aren't familiar with just the daily changes in thermals and how that might impact your scent? Sure. In a, in a general sense, in the morning, as the if it's a clear day, as the sun comes out and the surface of the earth heats up, the thermals start to rise. You know, think of it, you know, hot air rises and cool air lowers. Well, as the temperature is rising throughout the day and the thermometer is going up, so is the scent, okay? In the evening, when the cool air comes in, cool air lowers, all right, it's going to suppress your scent and hold it down to the ground. So in the morning, your thermals are going up. In the evening, your thermals are going down. That's on a normal day when the, the high gets to <clears throat> 60 and the low is at 40 when you have a big temperature differentiation. Mm -hmm. However, if the temperature stays the same all day, it's just kind of sitting there. It's not rising or, or going down. More often than not, it's staying close to the ground. Yeah. So late October, early November, you usually see those big you temperature just, changes a lot. You right? do. And a lot of the difference is cloud coverage. You ever notice on a cloudy day, the temperature differentiation might be five degrees yeah. or 10 degrees. It's yeah. not nearly as, as, as uh, evident on the days where it's clear. Yeah. Speaking of changes uh, that you've made to your scent control or hunting tactics as scent controls evolved, do you, I know a lot of people talk about the fact that if they get set up in a tree and then they find out that the wind is not right, there's not where they thought it was going to be, they'll move. Do you ever move after you're already set up because the wind has shifted or things aren't right? Or do you have so much confidence in your scent control now that you say, I'm staying? I move. I move. I will not sit with the wind wrong. I just can't. I've, it's, I, because I'm so selfish about the sit, you know, you wait all year and, and you wait for that day and I, I will not sit there with the wind wrong. It's, it's like a mental block. It's like, why sit here and defeat the purpose and defeat the spot and we've left it alone? Why let the wind blow into it? More often than not, it's because the predictor was wrong because I know the wind's right under that condition or I wouldn't have went there because I've wind tested it through the years or in March or whatever. But if I go there and the predictor isn't what I thought it was going to be and it's a little bit different, I get down and move because I'm not about to let a deer, you know, even think that I'm there. Because generally we're in on a big deer and we're hunting yeah. him and I just won't take that risk. I just won't do it. I move or I sacrifice the hunt. Yeah. I mean, it's the worst mistake you can make is sit a stand on the wrong wind, in my opinion. One of the worst. This is the, the worst thing you could do as a hunter is have the wrong access to do a deer drive on the way to your stand. <laughs> you can do is sit there all in and let all these deer smell you because 
you don't know what's smelling you downwind six, seven hundred yards, yeah. but they're smelling <clears throat> and they're reacting to it and they're outwitting you every time you well, let them smell. A it. lot of time, you, you know, not a lot of time, but when that happens, you can you can hear something off in the distance blowing. You're like, is that me? Well, yeah, it probably is. You oh, know. it's you. <laughs> it's not. Is it, no doubt, yeah, it's you. In your mind, you're trying to say, is it a is it a coyote? Is it a predator? No, it's you it, as it's the predator. Hundred <laughs> percent, so. it's you. Yeah, that access is tough. One of the things that I've started doing this past year and trying and see if it's going to help a little bit. Um, I too use, uh, I use an Ozonics machine while I'm hunting, but I've also started running an Ozonics while I'm accessing my stands too, to see if that might help cover a little bit of that entry route. You know, hopefully, like you said, all 99% of the time, right? You want to make sure you're accessing so that your wind doesn't blow into anything bad. But as we know, there's swirling winds, different things like that. So I'm hoping that might be one more way that I can, you know, just uh, hedge my bets a little bit to reduce that access route, possible scent control too. Um, but uh, a third piece, and I'll, I guess I could run down through my, my whole situation too, but a third piece that I use in addition to that, and we've talked about this on past episodes, but on top of ozone, I also use nose jammer, which, you know, I think is, as we all know, is this type of vanilla extract that seems to just kind of jam up a deer's scent ability. And that seems to help a little bit too. It just confuses deer, I think enough that you can walk past and maybe if a wind did swirl you'll be able to get away with it or if they're walking downwind in addition to all your other scent control and ozone that seems to be one other thing that you can kind of put in your favor that that has helped me personally at least um i know that i think you guys have both tried that on occasion too right yeah i can't i can't wrap my head around when i want to use it though because i've had camera guys like because i think they make detergent and everything where they you know wash their gear in it and it's like you smell so vanilla and it's like yeah. I, I can't take it and then i've used it where i've just sprayed it on the bottom of my boots to see you know because ultimately i'm just wanting to cover my tracks on the way in but then you still smell it like i put it back in my you know zonix tote or whatever and you smell i've smelled that vanilla smell all fall because my boots were in my tote and i i just i don't know how i feel about it really i mean i know it probably works but I'm so used to us saying, I don't want any sense. Right, yeah. It's counterintuitive <laughs> it to what we believe is the best scenario, right? Yeah. I think sometimes it depends on the herd you're hunting and where you're hunting and how the wind goes through the trees and that type of stuff. Like down in Texas, I have excellent luck with nose jammer and Evercom as a combination in conjunction with the ozone. Um, like, man, they just don't smell you down there. So how are you applying it? Like, I just don't apply it to myself. You're just, I'm like applying it to the blind or outside, you know, give them something to confuse them a little bit. I have a lot of good luck with that Evercom. I like that product. Very nice. And uh, does that have a smell to it? It just smells like deer. It's it's called Evercom. It's just like the smell of a herd. It's not rut. It's not doe and esters. It's nothing like that. It's just a deer smell. You know how, when you come to your deer, there's an odor to it. It's, It's that. Gotcha. What, uh, what about you, Matt? What other, what's your scent control cycle or process look like? Is it different than Mark's or you follow the same basic process? I think it's a general same basic process, but the difference is a lot of times like Mark and Terry, they're hunting where they live a lot of times, not in Texas and all that, but by and large, they're at their home spot and their farms are right there. And, and so for me, it's a little different because if I know I'm going to work that day and I'm going to take off at noon or one or whatever and, and go to the lease, which is 45 minutes away or whatever, I know like in the morning I'm taking the scent free shower and, but by and large, I got to get in a truck, which scent crusher does make a ozone go. I think they call it like, I try to make sure my 
truck is as scent free as possible because I'm living out of that thing. All my gears in there, my bows in there, all that stuff. So a lot of times I start out trying to be as scent free as possible, but I know I'm going to, to work and my office is right next to like my actual office in our studio is right next to our break room. So there's guys making popcorn or there are guys, you know, just using the microwave or whatever the case may be like my stuff by and large, I know my body is still going to get scented to a degree, no matter what I do, just because I'm, I'm coming to work for half a day. And so I have a crusher closet here at the office and I try to put, and the guys here at the studio can attest to it. I try to put all my gear in there or, or use my bag. Like I find myself relying more and more heavily on it because I feel like I can't be sent free just because of my conditions. You know, I'm not taking the shower and going on a hunt. Right. Absolutely. So I'm trying to do the best I can, you know, and, and a lot of times I'll run the ozone, go on my truck in the back. I have a, you know, a, a little plug-in unit in the, the back part of the truck. I'll run it in there and run it for 30 minutes on my way to the lease or whatever the case may be. So I'm trying to, I probably use it a more, more liberally than you guys. Cause I think you said you try to do it for like 15 minutes or whatever. I'm like crushing the heck out of it because I feel like I'm trying to offset the damage I did by just being out in the world, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. for six hours of the day. So that's kind of my, you know, my regiment. And then I always spray down. Like when I get to my spot and I get my gear on, like I'll spray myself down. And then usually my camera guys, like that's the other part of it for us. I never know what their regimen was. You yeah. hope it's as much as yours, but you can't rely on that necessarily. So usually I always get the look, but usually I'm spraying them down. And, Let me see your boots. I'll spray the boots. But that's, you know, I'm not, I have limited time to go out. I don't want to waste my time by blowing the field or whatever the case may be. No question. Um, no question. Maximize With every opportunity. Comes down to whether he thinks he might be hunting that day. <laughs> With your camera guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that seems really similar to what I do too. Um, like you, Mark. You know, I'm I'm doing the scent-free showers. I'm washing all my clothes with scent-free detergents. Um, I'm storing all my clothes outside and in some kind of tote or bag that's sealed. Um, I use an Ozonics dry wash bag um, when at my, my home t properties where it's kind of a similar concept to what you guys are using where it cycles ozone through your clothing to help eliminate some of that. And then I'm spraying down too. Um, I personally use Scentaway. Um, I've tried a bunch of different things too. And then to the nose jammer. I don't like to use like the nose jammer shampoo or any of that kind of stuff. Like you said, Matt, it's just, it's a strong smell. I'm not ready to go hunting smelling like vanilla sugar cookies every time, but yeah. um, I do spray it on my boots. I ha I really do believe it helps with that, um, with them not necessarily tracking your or smelling your tracks. I've, I've seen enough times that I think it works at least. Um, and then, like I mentioned, I'm running the ozonics as I walk in. And then when I'm in the tree, I've got that ozone generator working there too. Um, the one thing I wanted to add, though, which is kind of to what you mentioned, Matt, and a little bit unique, is I do a lot of, you know, hunts far from home, sometimes camping, sometimes, you know, doing different things like that without a shower for a long period of time. Um, so this past year when I did that Montana hunt, you know, I was living out of the back of my truck for a week. Um, I didn't have a shower within two hours. So what I did in that type of situation, of course, this wasn't going to be perfect, but you know, I kept my clothing sealed up in the bag at night. And then during the day when I wasn't hunting, I hung all my clothes out to dry in the wind to just, you know, hopefully dry up any sweat, just air out. Um, I also 
took kind of like a hillbilly shower. I had some of the scent eliminating wipes and I would just wipe down as much of my body with those in the middle of the day. I'd spray down very liberally, almost like a shower. And, um, and then I kind of follow the rest of the process the rest of the week. And then finally, if I would, at least in my perspective, at least every like two to three days, if you don't have access to a real shower, I'd at least try to do like a dump a pot of water on your head and, and rub down with some kind of scent eliminating shampoo and soap um, to try to get rid of the worst of it. Um, that's what's worked for me. And I think, you know, it's, it's obviously not as ideal as being able to follow the entire process at home. But when you're out there, you know, kind of camping and, and doing it yourself in a, a little bit more difficult environment, every little bit can help. And then you just need to be even more careful when it comes to your access and how you hunt. But uh, I think as long as you can check as many of those boxes as possible, it reduces the risk. One thing that I do want to add on, on using the ozone and, and there's, I guess there's studies out or whatever that says it can kind of eat away at the rubber or, or whatnot. And we had, um, at the ATA show, we were having a meeting with our partners at Muddy. And of course that's the harness we use. They don't recommend you put your harness in that situation with ozone, meaning the totes or the bags or the closets that, cause they don't, you know, they just don't know enough yet about what it may do to the tether and, and, and the elasticity yeah, rubber specifically it, yeah. it can deteriorate it. It will, if you put your binocular, um, harness in there and it's oh, got yeah. rubber in it, it's, it's going to fall apart. So yeah. ozone does eat at the rubber. So don't, you know, just use the spray on your, uh, on your body yeah. harness. Don't put it in ozone. If you have been doing it, throw that harness away and get another one. Yeah. You know, you can, and to your point, Mark, you like that, you could hang out to dry, you could hang outside, you know, or whatever the case may be, but you, you gotta be really careful. Like ultimately your safety above anything else. Cause I, I was putting that in, and they got those, it's like an elastic mm-hmm. straps or whatever on the front where you can attach your binoculars. Right. And I noticed they were like kind of crinkled up like bacon or whatever. And we were talking about that. They're like, yeah, that likely it's your ozone generators right. are doing that to you. So um, if you notice that, like he said, you get rid of your harness and get a new one. If you've ever put it in an ozone machine or around it, get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a great point. Keep um, that in mind, please. Yeah. You know, um, a a totally random off topic thing, but it's just something that a number of years ago I'd heard this and then I did a little bit of like research on it and I found there's something to be said about it. Um, you know, there was kind of a rage maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago about scent from your mouth and some people wear like carbon masks or some people would, um, eat or chew on like some kind of scent limiting gum or something like that. I I never tried any of that. I don't know if you guys had or noticed anything. Good. I, I mean, they sent us some. Yeah, or whatever. I, I didn't like it. It tasted no. like pine trees. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, sure. and I, I think it is an issue. That's where an infield ozone generator is going to help you the most there. Well, because you always wonder, you, you know, if you if you have any kind of hygiene whatsoever, you're probably brushing your teeth before you, you know, after you take yeah. a shower, you brush your teeth. Well, it's a Colgate, you know, minty, fresh smell. It's like, all right, do you would you rather have a stinky breath or have this minty, fresh breath? It's probably either way. It's probably not good. It's for, not good. You know, your hunting right. scenario. Yeah, definitely. Well, I've got a solution for you guys. Um, when when trying to look into this a little bit, I found out that eating an apple is actually a natural way of reducing your mouth odor. I I don't remember the specific biology behind it, but supposedly apple has a natural scent 
deterrent of sorts that will reduce the scent in your mouth. And it also, of course, is a scent that deer like. Um, so I tried to, when I remember, to eat an apple before heading out to the stand every once in a while. And that just might be a tasty way to improve your scent control, too. Maybe that's why Terry's always having such good luck. He's an apple a day. You know, either that or just eat those vanilla sugar cookies you were talking about because vanilla, you know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) True. That was Stoltz, and he'd always take his apple onto the stand with it. And it was so loud, I would sit there just steaming going, I know deer are hearing him right now. You know, because you're out the whole season, you've been together three or four weeks, and then you there's things people do that get on your nerves, right? Well, Steve's apples used to get on my nerves. (laughs) I never told him that. Well, I probably did. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> you know, Dad, that's not something that usually just We totally don't hold back on. <laughs> well, there's one story. I think you guys were hunting in Illinois when Dad had his place over in Pike County. And we had an editor at the time who also filmed for us, Jim Howe. And he still edits uh, freelance for us, does a lot of work for us. And he pulled out – Jim tells this story often. He, it was the morning hunt, and he pulled out his chapstick – Oh, <laughs> take it from here, you guys. Yeah, it was Terry. I Terry, think. yeah. It went off on him over his chapstick. Well, he was like, "Who <laughs> in the world has chapstick?" And Jim's like, "You know, Jim wasn't a hunter. He yeah. didn't know any better." And yeah. it was, you know, like cherry flavored chapstick or whatever. Similar to my reaction when I smelled the washing machine this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uh, found the detergent because she was hiding it <laughs> and got rid of that detergent. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So, yes, we're fanatical. (laughs) Got to do it. Like we always talk about, it's all those little things that add up. Yeah. They really do. Someone once asked me, we were in camp, and they were making fun of how fanatical I was about scent control. And he was like, why do you go through all this stuff? Why would you do all that? And I go, why would you not? (laughs) No, I mean, you're out there. You wait all year. You've done all the preparation. Why not take that last step? It's not that difficult to do. Why would you not do it? You know, it just really comes down to – uh, putting every effort out there to try and kill that buck of a lifetime. It's because for so long the notion was that Bubba out there was out there, you know, uh, you know, smoking a cigarette and he's in his coveralls and he had just as good a luck as you did. Right, yeah. You know, well, he's, you know, he got lucky or whatever the case may when be. Was right. When was right. Yeah, right. but um, I mean, we're doing it day in and day out. You're going to try to take every precaution that you can and put every little edge in your favor ultimately is what we're trying to do well yeah i mean you know if you do no scent control did you ever notice how many more deer you see on the upwind side of your tree than on the downwind side right yeah you know scent control is all about seeing deer on the downwind side (laughs) of your tree i always this always comes back to for me and i say it all the time i'm a broken record but you know when we're out there chasing you know any whitetail or mature buck specifically there are just so 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 many variables completely out of our control that we can't do anything about that will in many cases determine what happens. So if you want to even be in the running to have success, you have to control as many of the variables that you can. Um, so, you know, when it comes to scent control or any of the things we've talked about over the past year, it's always like, if I can control a variable, if that one's within your grasp, you better do something about it because there's a whole heck of a lot that's outside that uh, is already against you. So think about it like this. You, so you and I, Mark, uh, average, what'd you hunt? Probably 30, 45 days last you know, season, maybe more. Yeah, probably and a little how, more. But. How many times did you have a 60 days? How many times did you have a mature buck within bow range? No, once. Yeah. Twice. So my point, well, my point is why would you want 
that one chance to be blown because you didn't take your everyday precaution. Like it becomes yes. tedious, but ultimately you're just hoping for one shot. So like every time I drive that hour and a half home every night and I'm like, I only saw three does or a four deer and well, one was a spike or whatever. It's like, but, and my wife, she, you know, like your wife, they just never get it. Like, why do you do this? It's like, cause one of these times you just never know. Like I'm trying to move everything in my favor so that I'm there at that one time and that's all you need. And hopefully you, you know, hopefully you maximize on that one time because yes. they don't come around often, honestly. Almost never. <laughs> so yeah. that's the truth. That's uh, and I think that's a perfect kind of moral to this story when it comes to scent control. So is there anything else on your guys' end that we need to touch on? Not that I can think of. No, I think we covered it. Awesome. Well, hopefully, hopefully this is helpful to everybody listening out there when it comes to putting together your own scent control regimen. And if you would like to ask a future question on an episode down the road, just want to remind you, you can head to wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. You'll see all the instructions to do that. And uh, we'd love to hear your questions about, you know, postseason work or preseason habitat ideas or anything like that. I think uh, I've been been meaning to pick Mark and Terry's mind on it. So give me an excuse to do that, would you? And uh, the only other update I'd say is just subscribe to the podcast if you want to listen to it. You can go to iTunes or Stitcher, and if you want to view it, you can head over to the Jury YouTube channel. And Matt, you can take them there. Yeah, absolutely. So check us out at Jury Outdoors YouTube channel. We have the DOD TV section. We're throwing up episodes in Natural Born, Wildlife Obsession. Like We have a lot of original content on top of that, DOD TV originals. We always do a throwback Thursday plus the podcast. So we're putting a ton of content up. Uh, check us out on all of our social media platforms at Drury Outdoors. And I've touched on it a couple times in the last few podcasts. I'm still looking for some uh, new teams, new faces for the Drury Outdoors team. And uh, so please email me at comments at dreryoutdoors.com with your reel and a couple pictures of uh, some deer that you videoed. Uh, and please, just serious guys that are already videoing and having luck and, and, and doing it uh, kind of to the – degree that we're trying to do it um and that's really it i wanted to say thanks mark for another great podcast and we're going to try to do more and more of these and be really consistent so if you want uh, feel free to tweet or send mark Kenyon or myself a message and say hey here's some of the questions i'd like to ask or here's some of the guests we'd love you guys to get because that's the other thing we're going to try to get stan potts and cuz strickland and tim sylvia's and just in general a wide variety of people on the podcast in addition to mark and terry and the jury outdoors team so love to hear your ideas and feel free to send them our way definitely i would echo everything you just said matt so until next time thanks everyone for joining us peace